0: The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so.
1: October 25th, 2020, episode 20, season two of the Barney and Clyde podcast, quite a lineup today. In family disagreements, we're going to look at the dissing of Ron Paul within libertarian ranks, which Clyde gave me a heads up on that, and I found it rather surprising. I thought all types of libertarians just venerated him. But anyway, the hyperbolic chamber, we're going to look at Joe Biden's radical energy views and what they portend for his campaign in its final days. And in the Great American Speeches series, we're going to look at uh, a Time for Choosing by Ronald Reagan, which first aired October 27th, 1964, so it's coming up on its 56th anniversary, and it's a thunderous speech. Okay, so, welcome aboard.
2: Welcome back to Barney and Clyde, Season 2. Uh, I'm Clyde Myers, the, uh, the Libertarian, and uh, Barney Quick, with me as always, is uh, our conservative voice, so anyone who's new to the show... Um, should know that that's the way we approach things. We we take some matters on the uh, nation's plate or the world's plate, and we examine them from the libertarian and conservative viewpoints, and a lot of times uh, that results in a lot of um, Venn diagram overlap, and sometimes there's a little bit of uh, divergence there, but the conversation is always uh, stimulating.
1: Mm-hmm. And in non-pandemic times, we meet at the libation station, which is the bar across the room from my office. And um, since we've had to do this remotely, we we kept alive a a, a custom from those days. Um, we have a libation to um, wet our whistles as we as we uh, have our discussion. What you got today, Claude?
2: Oh, um, well, I guess I, I'll start. I was, you were telling me you had a, a doozy, so maybe we'll, it'll headline. But So I've got a... Um, I, I had to see, how, how can I outdo Barney? Not knowing what he's uh, come up with. But I've got the classic Bell's Best Brown. Probably Good one. the best brown ale, I think, on the market. Um, I also have a Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Okay. So what I'm going to do is a lot of uh, Uh, craft beer.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, they won't float. Okay. But a lot of craft beer snobs will probably call this blasphemy. Uh, Yeah. But I'm just going to pour about a I don't know maybe a third of a glass, fourth of a glass of the two hearted. I'm going to top it off with the best brown.
1: Why won't the brown um, float on top of
2: the? Oh. Okay, well that's an interesting question because the brown ale, um, this particular brown ale is like a um, uh, carbonated, regular old beer, right? So you you, okay. you just they uh, carbonated it. Um, I think they force air carbonate these things with carbon dioxide, obviously. Okay. Um, w- when they bottle it, um, the f- when you make a black and tan, you're using typically Guinness or Murphy's Stout or something like that will float on the top, but that. That gas is nitrogen. It's like nitrogen, mostly nitrogen. It's like a blend, but it's yeah. mostly nitrogen. So that um, makes it much more light, I guess, and it floats on the top. And not all nitrogen beers will float on a carbonated beer, but okay, um, for the for the most part, I, I don't know how you keep two two carbonated uh, <laughs> beers from from separating. Okay, so tell us what you've got. You've got something. All right.
1: Fun. Well, last week was. Uh, a milestone birthday for me i i turned 65 and uh on that on uh, my birthday i i had been out running errands and i came home and found
2: this on my doorstep oh <laughs> yeah. now we're talking yeah um, for everyone and, listening on the audio only it's a bottle of glenlivet 15 yeah. single malt and and
1: um so uh there was a card with it and my nephew uh and his wife and their their son and dog uh signed the card and it said happy birthday Inzel Barney," and uh, so forth and i um i sent them a thank you and i also i texted my sister and said do you know anything about this and she said um yeah charlie told me he was gonna come down to columbus and um uh, deliver a package which indeed he did and I mean is that a nephew or what talk about thoughtful uh, yeah that's good stuff bro. man I'm uh, getting into it here and uh, um, just the thing to ward off the chill of a late Sunday afternoon in late October uh, as we discuss yeah right
2: that's going to that. warm you right okay. up yeah okay I like Oops. the sound of that cork popping too that's, that's good stuff
1: so, yes, I'm getting
2: into that now. and uh, Oh, man, that's a thing of beauty right there. Oh, Do you take it neat? Yeah. Oh, good uh, for you. Good man. Yeah, no rocks, no water. Yeah, don't ruin a good scotch. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So, I, yeah. Little rocks now and then on a whiskey I like, but not yeah. scotch. <sighs>
1: yes. That looks nice. Oh
2: entirely too long all right well we better get through this uh before we uh before we both get hammered so um but but happy happy birthday man it's it's been a it's been a a pleasure knowing you all these years and um i'm 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 sorry that now you have to deal with uh medicare and (laughs) all that nonsense but uh but happy well
1: uh, BNC viewers may note that I um, alluded last time to a piece I'd written at my Substack page, uh, Precipice, a piece called Healthcare Thoughts, and um, that I, I was reflecting on getting ready to turn 65 and how government was going to be much more involved in my healthcare. And, um, so you, uh, those who are interested in getting check that out. Well, anyway, our first um, segment, I'm going to let you kind of lead because you – um, apprised me of this, and I, like I said, I was frankly a little surprised. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a, there were elements within libertarianism that ha- had cast aspersions on Dr.
2: Paul. That should come as a surprise, you know. Like um, there are some heroes that are just um, you know maybe off limits in in some circles. I don't know who would be uh, the conservative equivalent. Like who's who's one of those people within conservatism that you just don't criticize.
1: The great Ronald
2: Reagan. There you go. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and I think they're, uh, we, we've we got segments on each of them, and I, there, there are some parallels. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think they thought well of each other. Um, such an overarchingly conservative figure, and in your case, such an overarchingly libertarian figure that, well, you know, he covers everybody in, in our movement, doesn't he? You know, and that's kind of... A, yeah,
2: yeah, and so um, what I've been noticing lately is that I, personally, I wouldn't be a libertarian if it wasn't for Dr. Ron Paul. I mean, let's, okay. let's just put that out there. I'm not making the case that that he's a perfect libertarian or that uh, he should be a large-l libertarian as in a, a member of the Libertarian Party. Uh, he's affiliated with the Republican Party or was during his political most of his. He's gone back career. and forth over the years between libertarian and Republican. He, he, well, I wouldn't say he's gone back and f- back and forth. He he did run as a libertarian in, in the '80s. And uh, he's um, endorsed a Libertarian candidate for Senate once, I think. But he, he, he joined the Libertarian Party, um, and then I think he didn't find the usefulness in it. And I don't think a person has to find the usefulness in the Libertarian Party in order to be a Libertarian and be important yeah. to the movement and to the philosophy. I don't think he comes
1: by his libertarianism sort of like you, if I'm not mistaken. He was um, finishing up his medical residency uh, and started reading Friedrich Hayek's uh, Road to Serfdom, Mm -hmm. which then led him to von Mises, which led him to Murray Rothbard, and and so forth.
2: Yeah, him Um, and and Rothbard—that's some of the critique of, of Dr. Paul within the. Movement, which is I, to me, it just seems like if there was a couple of people who would be, and I don't want to say untouchable, and I kind of think that sometimes that hero worship is misguided, you know. Put, I know.
1: You're, we're all fallible beings. We're mean, all yeah.
2: fallible beings, and we're all going to be disappointed if we hold a human being up as this pinnacle example of perfection, you know. Right. We're, ne- we're never going to be satisfied with that. And I'm not trying to make the, the case that, that Dr. Paul is perfect. Um, again, I don't know uh, I'm not going to spend my time going back and and researching every paper he's ever written, every candidate he's ever endorsed. All I'm going to do is say that a, a lot of people are like me and they remember Ron Paul running for president in 2008 and 2012 and having the guts to stand up to um you know all of the establishment, not only um in the opposing party but in his own party and take all the the flack. From, from his own party, um, and to defend peace, uh, personal sovereignty, and, and individualism, uh, and free market economics. He's the only one that would do that, and it was super, super brave, and it gave people like me, who were feeling politically homeless some hope that there's there's people out there that think like me i, I you know i want people to be able to, to be free to live their own lives i want them to be able to marry whoever they love i want them to be able to you know it's like the old libertarian t-shirt that says uh you know i want uh, gay married couples to be able to defend their marijuana fields with ar-15s you know um <laughs> but we also want uh, a, a balanced budget we want low or no taxation we want um the free market to be uh, Free and unrestricted. We want um, sound economic uh, decisions, and that. And Dr. Paul gave people uh, a political home um, in libertarianism, not the Libertarian Party.
1: Yeah, uh, I make I, Lord knows I make a, a clear distinction between conservatism and the Republicans. Yeah, I don't really yeah. feel like Republican anymore. Um, but anyway, so to the point. W- what who is are, are are there magazine pieces coming out, or did somebody make a speech? or what 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 form does this dissing of Ron Paul take?
2: It seems to have been in vogue over the last few years to disparage Ron Paul for some reason, within the okay. libertarian party. Um, and I think that this has occurred. Um, since the rise of the Libertarian Party, Mises Caucus, which we've talked about before. The Mises Caucus could easily be called the Libertarian Party, Libertarian Caucus, because they are trying to steer the party in a libertarian direction, a very libertarian direction. I'm a member of the Mises Caucus, and proudly so, Um, but a lot of people don't like libertarian purity, and I can understand that, and I think that that's a valid opinion. I don't share it, uh, but I understand it, and I welcome those people into the party. I don't think that they should be removed, as some of them think that the Mises crowd should be removed. Um, so anyway, this, this caucus has gained a lot of power in the last okay. few years. It's about three years old, three or four years old, and in that time... Um they've um really increased the party membership because actual libertarians are joining now, you know not that the other people aren't actual libertarians, but people who are very libertarian who um, um viewed the libertarian party before as something that wasn't attractive to them are now seeing it and 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 going,' okay, and now I've got a home um and these people are pretty. Pretty high on the uh, on the Ron Paul fanboy scale, you know. Okay, all right. Um, and because they like the pure message, you know. They 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 um. We interviewed uh, Jacob Hornberger.
1: Yeah, here on BNC, he was yeah. our guest back when he was a uh, uh,
2: during the primaries. And Faith. Hornberger yeah. was the was the um was the pick from the from the Mises Caucus. That's what the one that the huh. that's the candidate that the that the Mises Caucus yeah. endorsed. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's happened on – with the help of um, a couple of podcasters and media personalities like Tom Woods and Dave Smith um, and even maybe Michael Malice to some degree who have, who have been interviewing their the, – the Mises Caucus leadership and um, really getting behind a really pro, really pure libertarian message and it's pissing a lot of people off in the party. And since uh, these are the people who got brought into the party by Ron Paul, inadvertently I might add, Ron Paul didn't say you should go join the Libertarian Party. Quite the opposite, you know. He didn't mention the Libertarian Party. I never re- heard him mention the Libertarian Party when he was running for president in '08 and 2012. He ran on the Republican ticket. He talked about being a Libertarian, being a Libertarian, small L Libertarian, uh, but not a member of the Libertarian Party. So anyway... Some of these people, like like uh, Tom Woods, they get a little bit of crap from – well, a lot of crap from some of the former party, party leadership and, and um, a lot of people within the party because um, the former chair of the Libertarian Party, a guy named uh, Nicholas Sarwark, um, who I've not met and I'm not going to talk ill of him or I'm not going to promote him. I, I don't know him. Um, I'm I'm not really that impressed as, as from when he was chair, Okay. but that's more than I've done for the party. So I'll just shut up on the matter. Okay. He's been very critical of Ron Paul and very critical of, um, Tom Woods and those kinds of people. I think because they're not constantly screaming, uh, with their hair on fire about racism and bigotry, like, like an insane liberal neoliberal.
1: Interesting. I didn't know that there was a wing of libertarianism preoccupied with identity
2: politics the, like There, there, There is. Okay. Um, and, I, and what's if they're former lefties, you know, like myself, okay. you know, like I don't understand why I left the left because I couldn't take that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. surprised that people who left the left want to bring that with them. But some do. And that and again, you know, I'm also against racism, I'm against bigotry and things like that. Well,
1: who isn't? I mean for heaven's sake.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like let's be grown ups here. But <laughs> be, right. but because but because um, you know Sarwark had uh, put out a, a, a letter um, like denouncing racism within the Libertarian Party and that and an open invitation for all racists to leave. Right. And so and so Woods wouldn't sign it and a bunch of other people wouldn't sign it. And and a lot of people took that as an endorsement that I'm not going to I'm not going to be against bigotry and racism. But really what it was, was I'm I, I am going to be firmly against virtue signaling that doesn't change anything or make anything better.
1: I've always called that the great cultural dare. Unless you express the matter our way, then you're open to charges of being a bigot.
2: Right. You whenever, know? whenever, yeah. if you don't sing when we crank the hurdy gurdy, yeah. and you don't right. get your supper, monkey, you know, like yeah. it makes my it makes my blood boil. And I'm so glad that there are people that are mm. that are brave like Tom Woods that just go like, you know what? No, I'm not going to sign your stupid virtue signaling letter. Go to hell. You know. Yeah. And it wasn't even that. It was just like silence. It's like I'm I'm not going to sign it. I'm busy. And this doesn't matter, like this doesn't but
1: it's Silence spoke volumes, yeah
2: yeah, well, yeah, to a bunch of people who are important and need to virtue virtue signal, yeah, so anyway, so the point is, um, I think that all this is is coming from the people that came to Liber- the libertarian party because Ron Paul introduced them to liberty because those people are are becoming powerful and are, are getting louder voices, then they have to cut that head of the hydra off. They have to, you know, they have to discredit the shepherd in order to disperse the sheep, I think. Okay. So, anyway, so here's what happened. Elizabeth Nolan Brown, who's um, an, an editor at, at Reason Magazine, or contributor, I don't know what exactly her whole role is, but she tweeted out on October 24th, she says, Ron Paul brought libertarians a wave of racist dingbats who like liberty in only a few areas from which we are still digging ourselves out. Good the fuck riddance. And, uh, yeah, at a t-
1: you know, you've at, you the libertarian movement and the small libertarian movement and the large libertarian party have both begun to see a bit of uptick in interest in them among the general populace, and, and they, they can ill afford to have that squelched by this kind of stuff. I,
2: I totally agree, and I, I feel like these people don't ever want to win. There's, I, I just don't understand why you don't want to grow the party. I don't understand why you don't want to make it bigger, and I don't understand why you want to alienate people and fragment. So let's, let's go to one more here. There's um, so we talked about Nick Sarwark the previous chair of the Libertarian Party. Now mind you this is a person who said that politics playing the political game and winning is more important than than purity of message, okay? He said in a debate that libertarians should should get behind Dick Cheney if he were to convert to a the Libertarian Party, not the Libertarian mindset, but the Libertarian Party, we should all get behind. You know, Dick Cheney. Yeah, and I'm,
1: I'm a Dick. I'm a Dick Cheney fan, but I can see what you're saying. He would. He's
2: not a fit. He's not a fit. No, Libertarians <laughs> are not Dick Cheney fans. Right. Um, but so, so in this debate, um, his opponent pressed him and said, "Hey, well, okay, f- what about Hitler? If Hitler was okay. running as..." a libertarian should we all rally behind him and 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 elect him and this man <laughs> said yes
1: now, now that's oh man you know us us conservatives are dealing with that because you know and, and as a matter of fact here in the last 10 days as things reach a fever pitch in the presidential election you know um, the whole business about You'd better get on board with Trump. It's a binary choice. you'll have Biden instead if you mm-hmm. don't. And, and, I, and, and folks like myself, Trump is not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. What the hell? I mean, yeah.
2: yeah so, yeah. So, yeah so, so it's more important to win than to retain your identity of what you want to win for. Right. That's, yes. that's the message. So, so bear yeah. that in mind that this person ha- holds that view. When he posts on Facebook, quote, Lifetime Libertarian Party member Dr. Ron Paul endorsed himself for president in 1988. He endorsed uh, Murray Sabrin for Senate in 2018. Are you aware of any other Libertarian candidate endorsements during his political career? Okay. So that's a challenge by Nick Sarwark saying that basically that Ron Paul isn't libertarian. This is the guy who's like, you shouldn't say that people aren't libertarian enough. We need a big tent. He's basically saying, well, Ron Paul's not libertarian enough. He's not. He's not endorsing our candidates. Well, he is a member of the the, the lifetime member of the party because you can buy a, a lifetime membership, right? You can buy mm-hmm. a lifetime membership to something and not want it anymore. And I'm sure that, yeah. I'm sure that's firmly where where Ron Paul stands. I'm not speaking for him, but if I were him, I'd probably be like, yeah, I bought this thing in 1988 and now you can shove it where the sun don't shine because because the way you people treat me you know mm-hmm. no wonder he doesn't run on our ticket anymore look how look look at look at how these people treat him um, yep. and then so anyway so there's a there's just it just seems so popular right now um within the libertarian party to to disparage ron paul and to me it just makes no sense because there there's only one reason they could be doing it this is the deplorables moment inside the libertarian party they're calling the ron paul people the deplorables you are right these are the untouchables okay. because because you know ron paul they really mean all that stuff about no taxes and yeah, and yeah, yeah right like what happens if people are no. actually have to be forced to to you to can't sell under that the non-aggression stuff. principle yeah, what happens if drugs actually get fully decriminalized, you know? But anyway, um, so the, I really feel that anyone who's doing this, who's going after the people who were brought into the party by Ron Paul or by um, Tom Woods or the Mises Caucus, by going after those people, they can only be doing that with malicious intent to fragment the party and to, to, to make it weaker, they're not the they're not the ones that won a big tent, so it's going right. to end up making the party weaker, which is already happening.
1: Well, it's really it's really sad because there's a there as a conservative, I I can say forthrightly, there's a lot to admire about Ron Paul. Uh, for crying out loud, you know, um, he, he, it's not like he doesn't know the the outer world, uh, be beyond libertarian. He he um served in um, served in the um, U- U- U.S. Air Force. Uh, he was he was a um, flight surgeon and and he's a captain in the U- U.S. Air National Guard. And so I mean he he knows from the inside, and that's kind of uh, Jacob Hornberger does too. Remember we had that conversation with him. He he knows from the inside what uh, the m- military impetus is all about. I mean. It, it, um, and he, he, and then, like I say, when he was a resident, um, kind of like the way I came by conservatism too. You know, you start reading one compelling author, which leads you to another, and leads you to another, and say, like, "Man, this is a coherent worldview. I want to. I, I, I think I resonate with this. I'm going to yeah. explore it further. I think that, yeah, along like Dr. Paul, that's how you came to."
2: libertarianism. Yep, and I and 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 not just me but like tens of thousands of people. Yeah. You know, and 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 the only They're and, looking
1: for a home.
2: The only not, reason that they, I honestly because not, wh- how old is Dr. Paul right now? Like 84? 80, uh, 85. 85. Okay. Yeah. So so you know, this is a, this is an older guy. He's not out a- actively Campaigning against the Libertarian Party, I, I I follow the Liberty Report, and I and I you know I don't I don't Google Ron Paul every day and find out what he's up to, but I, you know yeah. I, I keep in touch, and mm-hmm. but I don't hear him out there talking crap about the Libertarian Party every day, but the Libertarian Party is constantly talking crap about Doctor Paul, and it's gross, yeah. you know. So and the only reason that they could be doing it and bringing it up now, you know, this guy is what ten, fifteen years retired from government, yeah. um, he, he's not out there kicking the beehive against the liberty movement. He's he's still strongly supporting it well into his 80s. You yeah. know what I mean? The guy yeah. is a champion inside the, the freedom movement. Give yeah. him a little friggin' credit already. Exactly.
1: It's dismaying to hear this, Clyde, uh, uh, but um, these are times in which uh, any movement with cohesion uh, that you try to foster seems to crack right back up again
2: yeah you know? yeah and I love the libertarian Party and I love the way it's sort of small and punk rock and I, I love that it's you know just kind of cool and 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 niche and all that kind of stuff but like I also want to live in a free world you know yeah that's the and ultimate reason you're part of it and yeah, and, and, and it's cute and all that, but we can't, you know, if, if we're going to be a band, we can't keep playing in the basement and the garage all the time. We've got to get out there, you know what I mean, and make a bigger splash. Yeah. You know, let's grow this thing and let's bring people into the fold, then teach them about freedom and about liberty right yeah, and even right. if even if dr paul's a garbage human being who should be you know swept into the dustbin of history as they say if he brought 10,000 people in here to the into the movement and now they're sponges ready to listen closer to the message then you just give them the message don't sit there and talk about how they were wrong to follow ron paul out of the desert <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah just you know, they're here now okay all right. We beat that one to death enough, you think? Yeah, I I think
1: so. <laughs> uh, probably time to move to segment two, which is uh, one we've had a, a, for a long time. The hyperbolic chamber, Joe Biden's radical interview e- energy views and what they portend for his campaign in the final days. Now, um, most of the journalistic coverage of what's happening on that front in the last few days, particularly since the last presidential debate, ha- has to do with... How's it affecting his prospects? You know, a um, couple of things about that. One, it is going to damage it somewhat because the focus um, and, and understandably so is on how people in energy producing states, uh, oil states like Oklahoma and Texas, um, gas states like uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia and, and upstate New York, um, uh coal states like, like Kentucky um, and, and uh, people working in those industries in those states are, you know, this guy's talking about endangering my job, you know, and and that's, that, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's what it does come down to, especially in the very final days of, of a campaign when any remaining undecided voters are, what's going to tip the balance for me? Mm-hmm. And Selena Zito, for instance, who writes now for the Washington Examiner, she's been at various places i think she's her her home base is pennsylvania she sure writes about it a lot but her her shtick has kind of been eastern midwest and western east uh you know, pennsylvania and eastern ohio and west virginia and places like that what's going on with this with people in the small towns and and you know and rust belt stuff and 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 energy industry stuff and she's got a piece at the um, talking about how um, people in, in a particular region of Pennsylvania in in the coal mining industry are indicating uh, strongly that they're going to vote for um, Donald Trump there's a piece at the From the Los Angeles Times about backlash from what he had to say at the uh, at the debate and how politically damaged. And Washington Post analysis, how how politically damaging were Biden's comments about closing on the oil industry? Um, Some of this stuff's behind a paywall. I'm I'm not getting to read it again. But um, (laughs) I hate that. uh, And and, and, uh, this is my paywall. OK, the the point being um, objective analysis is indicating that it's going to hurt him somewhat. That's not what I'm mainly interested in, being like you, someone whose main interest is in freedom and making sense and, and here, you know, for, for, formulating policy according to reality and things like that. Um, you, you look into, um, I, I did, that. I'm not, Lord knows I'm no Trump fan, but he did, um, Pretty much uh, hit a home run with with his when when this came up at their last debate, and I never said I wasn't against fracking. And Trump showed a video to prove that. Oh yes, you did. Um, and um, and the larger point, there, there's a there's a couple of levels of this, but the larger point is the climate alarmism movement has a vested interest in showing that anything like fracking or even nuclear energy is bad you know we've got to go with renewable stuff like wind and solar um th- they go for the most um hard to harvest expensive and um diffuse forms of energy when it's obvious that the the densest and, and most readily extractable and and, uh, and, and uh, cheapest because of those things has to be the way we go uh
2: Yeah. They're against everything that that works for the dam.
1: And then it even gets to a deeper level. And this is where you and I really agree. energy is provided by particular companies that were formed by stockholders who said, Hey, yeah, I think I could get a return on investment by, um, uh, being an owner of this company. That's going to provide energy of a particular type to people. I'll bet, I'll bet it will be profitable and I'll bet it'll heat a lot of homes. And, um, the the energy sector consists of particular companies providing particular energy forms to particular customers for a price that both buyer and seller think is acceptable and think they're getting value from. And, and well there's a government getting involved and in that gets it back to some kind of macro level like oh well okay go ahead chip quiet Well let me yeah.
2: make let me make some more if if I didn't make enough libertarian enemies in the um in the <laughs> Ron Paul segment let me make a few more <laughs> okay sure um and may, maybe some friends too who knows I think that there's a libertarian Fraction here, or like a fracture here, yeah. um, because there's a case to be made that the best sources of energy are the ones that are inexpensive and reliable, and keep little old ladies warm in the winter and cool in the summer, right yeah, and keep yeah. and keep people from dying from climate because if you look at the numbers of deaths from from the climate. You'll see that they've been plunging for years, and the reason that they've been plunging, even if you, you know, even if you're, you know, the hair on fire climate alarmist, um, you have to recognize the fact that technology has eased the pain of those situations, right? Sure,
1: and, and extracting things like coal and oil is done much more cleanly than it was just a few years, ago. and
2: and I think it's better handled by the private sector and all that kind of good stuff. But I do think that there is a um, an argument to be made that the externalities, such as you know, p- the pollution created by fossil fuels, um, you know, does create a um, you know, it's sort of a NAP violation. It's like a uh, an initiation of of force or at least negligence against other people who have to deal with the downstream pollution. I am using downstream figuratively, but that could also be literal in some cases. Um, but I think that our society is so much better from having inexpensive, reliable energy at the disposal of people in in all economic classes in our country that the externalities are bearable. Yeah. But we should be working to diminish them because they're not going to be bearable forever.
1: Right. But but uh, any private organization, that that is to say a company, in the business of providing energy, can see that its profitability is uh, best protected by addressing that kind of thing.
2: Maybe. Maybe it is. Yeah. I mean, people certainly don't do that um, in the meat industry. Like, when people go to buy a roll of sausage, they buy the cheapest one or the one that they think is tastiest. They don't really think about the impact of, well, was this on a kfo type farm or was this on Some people make that purchasing decision, but very few yeah. do. Most people oh, okay. make a, a a product quality or price decision and yeah, and okay. again, I'm not saying the the government should control it. I'm just saying that there are other factors at play. But let's pull it back to Biden and so so he's got to what I find interesting about the Biden campaign is that both the left and the right are saying, well, let's get behind Biden, not the whole right, but like the never-Trumpers and the, you know, garbage human beings like, just, like Bill so Please,
1: Please, let me just real quickly, your intrepid co-host here inhabits an ever narrower sliver of terrain, ideological terrain of, of real estate, because I am a never-Trumper, but I sure as hell am not one of these Lincoln Project people that says, Since soon it's a binary choice, you've got to vote
2: for Biden. <clears throat> not, yeah, you're I, not a never-Trumper. You're like a better-Trumper. Like, fine, Trump, but just make him better. Like, you now, know, I probably won't vote for Trump, Clyde.
1: I'm, well, I'm probably going to write somebody in. Anyway, but
2: let's get back to Biden. Yes, um, so I, w- you know, I just point. want to make one point about Biden, is that is that the, the people on the right who are slipping away from Camp Trump mm-hmm. and the people on the left who wouldn't be so pro-Biden, maybe some people who are a little further left than Biden, yeah, are saying, well, let's get behind this candidate because he's more of a centrist, and let's return to normal, right? The, the, uh-huh. the, the right thinks that, we, well... Uh, you know the, the the never Trumpers think that Biden is 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 more sort of that that Reagan kind of person, and then um, the the far left thinks that well you know Biden's closer left than we had before, so let's you know let's return to zero yeah. and then start working outward from there. And we're talking about these radical energy policies, which shows me that that's not the case. This guy is not a return to well. He may be a return decency to-
1: and normalty and comity and moderation. Right, no, no, maybe
2: he's a return to normalcy, but normalcy is not <laughs> not liberty. It's not freedom, and it's not you know, it's 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 not peace and harmony and flowers and unicorns and.
1: Let, let Let's go to the record book. Um, in 2019, at a uh, campaign stop in Peterborough, New Hampshire, um, he uh, said that. Um, we need to hold fossil fuel executives liable for what they've done, particularly in those cases where they are, uh, where there are underserved neighborhoods. Um, lovely leftist phrase. And um, and you know everybody talks about oh it's so frightful at Trump rallies when people start screaming lock him up, lock her up, lock them up. Um, back to that um, campaign stop in late 2019, Biden said when the. Uh, Fossil fuel executives don't deliver. Put them in jail. He's on record saying this.
2: Put them in jail for what? For 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 not giving product to people who didn't pay for it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Or for not building pipeline. Like, or not building a delivery mechanism for people. Like, if you produce gas, do you have to make like the people who extract gas from the ground? And the mm-hmm. people who extract oil and ref- and the people who refine oil aren't the people who bring it to my house. Right. What the hell is he talking about? Who, yeah. Who's going to jail for what? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know.
1: But, but, well, and that's the nature of our times. You know, the Trumpists do this with their lock him up, locker up over email stuff that everybody thinks ought to be at the front and center on our redder screens. Uh, and that's a whole other issue. But but. You know the, the the left also has its thing. You know because the, you know the air is ostensibly dirtier, which it's not. But you know, the they American should all be locked up.
2: up. Like, but not none of none of these people. All these people should be locked up. But none of them for the reasons <laughs> that that people want them locked up. Hillary Clinton <laughs> yeah. absolutely spend the rest of her life in jail for destabilizing the country of Libya and costing. Thousands of lives and and, and completely yep. ruining the lives of other peoples for generations to come. Wish not your not for putting some fucking emails yeah. on you know on a server in her closet, which was negligent and stupid and probably prosecutable. But Jesus Christ, this woman is a murderer. She should spend yeah, okay. the rest of her life at the Hague for the murders. But but
1: to get back to the, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't disagree, but um, she uh, <clears throat> the. the to, to get back to the point there is no way for years for decades for solar and wind to compete in a free marketplace with dense forms of energy like coal and oil there's not you, you without subsidies they basically cannot exist and um this whole business of, of biden saying the federal government ought to have a policy of net zero and ending fossil fuels by 2050 um you can't do that without and here we go here's our venn diagram overlap the the government which has a uh, um a monopoly on the legitimate use of force taking our money at gunpoint to put to um energy policies and where is Anything. James Madison's rolling over in his grave. Where is there anything about energy policy in the effing Constitution?
0: Yeah, but let's be fair.
1: Let's be
2: fair. Fossil fuel companies are subsidized, too, to a large extent.
1: Well, and and I'm
2: all for having that stopped. I personally um, think that if you let these two – again, we're getting off topic of Biden, but I think you will give these two formats – the free market and, and let them compete, unsubsidized, unhelped, and uninhibited, one's going to reign supreme, and I kind of feel like the sustainable one's going to win. Well, that that's
1: because our, our government school system has done such a good job indoctrinating the little kiddies with skulls full of mush into thinking that the planet's in some kind of fucking trouble, and... <laughs> you know and and that's why polls show that most Americans now <laughs> you know feel that climate change is not being addressed enough and it's a very urgent issue and um and then oh and then there's the other one now now that the covid thing has come along they conflate the two people say a lot of people are are, are um saying acknowledging is the word i'd use that that we've got a pandemic on our hands and and and, un- and it's unprecedented and we don't exactly we're in uncharted territory and we ought to proceed carefully and blah 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 but then there is also and it's largely populated by trumpists those who say you know you know masks and distancing uh, are 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 silly and we need to open everything up right now and blah 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 and then and then the leftists have an excuse to say well they're anti science just like they are on climate and climate and covid are two different subjects you know just because something is True in one realm does not mean it's holds true in the other realm.
2: The left wouldn't understand science if it fell out of the sky and hit him in the head. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't. Um, I mean, like the, especially with the mask thing. Again, I don't want to get too far off topic, but the freaking mask thing, every time I talk to a, a leftist that is crazy pro-mask, right, they say, yeah. okay, well, masks clearly work. Okay, so, okay, fine. Show me the evidence. Well, the evidence is you put a mask on your face and look how it disperses all this kind of stuff. That's one person wearing a mask. Where's your data on all of society wearing a mask all the time? You know what I mean? And people yeah. keep it s- snotty and they put it in their pocket and they don't wash it for two weeks. Where's the data? <laughs> where's, the, where's the aggregate data and multivariate analysis on all that shit? It's nowhere to be found. And don't try to convince me that it is because you, you just haven't produced it. Okay? Yeah. So go to hell. And so let's talk about Biden. Oh, and okay. by the way, one thing real quick. I don't know if it was me or Glenn Livitt, but we finally got an F bomb out of Barney. So that's a first here on Barney and Clark. <laughs> I think it was a mixture. But <laughs> I, 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 I,
1: I'm, um, there's this whole political level where, in the aftermath of the last debate, you know what's happening with Biden's uh, uh, prospects among voters in Pennsylvania and West Virginia and Texas and blah blah blah. Um, he has been doubling down since then. He's declared that climate change is the number one issue facing humanity, and um, he's got a two trillion plan. Uh, never mind how we're going to get the money, given you know our massive def- debt and deficit, to finance that. But on a path to zero carbon pollution uh, for the electricity sector by twenty thirteen and net zero uh, by twenty fifty unchecked, it is going to bake the planet. Um, no. You know, people, What's what's been swept un, under the rug in the last couple of years is all h- how these computer models have been shown to be horseshit. Nobody remembers the East Anglia emails anymore and the hockey stick and all that. But th- this stuff's been discredited. Um, we're, the, the, the planet is not in such trouble that we need to take urgent action and, and reverse the ad- advance of, of of re- reverse human advancement. You
2: know? Um, anyway. Uh, well, I think a lot of people realize that, or they at least they realize that um, the existential threat right now is not in their backyards. And I, I think um, that the left forgets that they're supposed to be the, the, the defenders of the little guy, right? And the little guy is saying that climate change in, in the big picture... It's yeah. not at my doorstep, but my job is, and heating my home is, and I. And again, you can't hide stuff from people anymore. We have this awesome leveling device called the internet that that gives everyone access to all the same information, and yeah. you can't you can't hide from the people in Kentucky the fact that the people in California where they've passed bans on certain types of energy or using certain uh amounts of uh hydrocarbon based energy that they're constantly experiencing interruptions in service and Ooh, not just not just oops it's out again you know not just incompetence it's like okay we're going to have to plan for <laughs> the electricity in <laughs> a major city a block of the city to be off from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. or from midnight to 2 a.m. just because we don't have the goddamn electricity. We don't have the energy.
1: The lights are going off in our neighborhood, and a forest fire up the hill is breathing down our necks because we didn't clear out the underbrush because we were trying to be so or environmentally groovy.
2: Yeah. Right, so so yeah. so you you can't you can't say to somebody in Kentucky or or you know um, Illinois, West, Virginia, or West yeah. Virginia, whatever. Like, okay, um, we want to do all the awesome stuff that we've done for California for you. We'd yeah. like to increase homelessness. We'd like to decrease uh, availability of electricity. Um, we'd like you to pay a lot more in taxes. Um, you want to sign up today? Yeah. You know, it's not a very uh, compelling argument.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll just kind of, my final comment is uh, that the great uh, hard leftist Noam Chomsky, uh, professionally he's a linguist at MIT, but, you know, for decades he's been a far left uh, firebrand. And, and he's, he applaudingly says, uh, Joe Biden's got the most radical environmental agenda of any Democratic presidential candidate ever and, and he's endorsed by the Sunshine Movement which is a thing that got going in 2017 a bunch of young environmental activists that really love what Biden's proposing so um, he's not a moderate in other words at least certainly not on energy
2: I think again we, we talked about him being rumored to be like a return to normalcy right yeah. and it's like okay maybe that's the case but Normalcy for a lot of people was real bad. The
1: Overton window has shifted. We define yeah. normalcy
2: differently. Than we do. Yeah, you know, and and good and and good for Trump. I gotta say, good for Trump, and and not necessarily because he tried to do this or because he's competent in some way, but just yeah. the simple fact of him going in and and you know he went into the office and he lifted up every rock. You know what I mean? He may have found yeah. some gross stuff under some and said this is great Creepy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like he exposed all the all the bad crap, you know what I mean? And now people can see it. And I hope I hope that people can, eat, can do one of two things uh, or maybe both. Take the 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 some of the good things that Trump has done and and run with those and 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 the other things I hope that they can see that this isn't unique. To him that politics and government, not America, but like politics and government, the true nature of government is, is shady dealings and, 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 and backdoor deals and mob shakedowns. And I really hope that people can parse out Trump from that and see, okay, I really hate Trump. I hate all the gross things this guy does. Okay, cool. Good. I hope you... I hope you realize that you don't like those things, those actions. And then when Joe Biden gets into office and does those things, I hope you can apply that that disgust to him. Because you sure as hell didn't apply it to Obama, you know? And you sure as hell didn't apply it to Bush W.
1: The older I get, the more I love the, the Who song, Won't Get Fooled Again. Um <laughs> take out my current play, just like yesterday, then I get on my knees and pray that we don't get fooled again. There you go. Um yeah. Um and, and you know what what you're getting to here, take the best of this and take the best of that. And I realize I realize politics is about um building a big enough tent to draw people in to have uh, you know, it's it's all about scale and you know, getting getting enough heft, enough momentum, enough campaign money, you know, and, and interest among people. Get some people elected who agree with you on at least, you know, a majority of things and all that good stuff. But there have been times in American history when people of utter, of, of unshakable principle have stepped up on the stage. And and um, whether you agree with them or not, you have to admire the fact that um, they believe to the core of their beings. Is this a segue? What they believe. It is. Oh, oh um,
2: very good segue, yeah, Barney. Yeah.
1: We, we've talked a, a bit throughout this show. It, it's come up in both segments so far. Um, some, somebody steps up on the stage and says, I believe this, and therefore you should vote for me. How much do they believe in it? Or, or to what degree are they a phony? Um, the reason Ronald Reagan is continues to be such a hero to so many Republicans and conservatives. And I'm. let's make a distinction there. All, yeah, yeah. Uh, not all conservatives are Republicans, and not all Republicans are conservatives. But um, the reason he is so admired is be- and remains such a hero is because the guy really believed it. He started out as a—he uh, was an FDR Democrat, you know, he, he, born and raised in Tampico, Illinois, uh, studied economics at— um, uh what was the name of the Be- before, college
2: before we go there before we go there why don't you introduce w- why it's important to talk about reagan now what what's the occasion okay. that we're celebrating
1: well, right now uh, okay um yeah that's a good question clyde and i'm happy to address it why is it important to to uh think about reagan uh at a time at a moment like this um Because, like I say, there was nothing phony about the guy. And there's everything phony about Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't care about um, uh, human freedom or or human decency or or, uh, the role of America on the world stage. Donald Trump cares about his own glorification.
2: So let's roll back in time. Yeah. To the campaign of Barry Goldwater. Yeah. All right. So we're talking nineteen sixty four. Right?
1: John F. Kennedy had been assassinated the previous November. So
2: Barry uh, Goldwater's um, running for the Republican ticket against the sort of incumbent Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. Um,
1: America was undergoing a lot of cultural changes uh, in 1964. The Beatles came to America's shore. Um, the free speech movement out on the Berkeley campus was getting going. So that there were the early rumblings of, of a counterculture I like happening. your
2: counterculture dance there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Shoulder okay. swag. Um, but, but that's, I'm kind of setting the scene for what 1964 was like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, well, I wasn't there, so. Civil rights movement was um, happening, a number of things like that. Barry, Barry Goldwater had written a book in 1960 called The Conscience of a Conservative. Uh, he co-wrote it um, with um, Brent Bozell, uh, and, and, and that had really uh, electrified a certain wing in the Republican Party. So then he wound up, as the primary process distilled, as the candidate. And man, Barry Goldwater was... Um, Really, a man of conviction. You couldn't shake him, and and which left him open to all kinds of, you know, charges of this and that from the Democrats and other kinds of leftists and, um, and so forth. But D- Ronald Reagan gave this speech in support of Barry Goldwater's campaign in the last weeks of the election cycle. It, it was late October, and the yeah. Was, yeah.
2: So the, the, the thing, the only thing I knew about Barry Goldwater, I was born in nineteen seventy seven. So the only thing I knew about Barry Goldwater, really, was that um, Bob Dylan didn't like him, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in my adult years, I realized that that's probably an indicator that he was onto something. Yeah, Goldwater, not Dylan. Well,
1: and, and if you listen to the entire
2: uh, A Time for Choosing speech, which is
1: what we're discussing in this segment, um, Ronald Reagan takes a little while and says, let's look at who this man Barry Goldwater was and how he flew his private plane up and you know from from California back up and back and forth between there and Phoenix to to bring people home to see their yeah did that happen did family. that
2: happen because like for, first of all like I want to preface this with that um, again like many other people I really admire a lot of things about Ronald Reagan yeah he has some hits on his record that I don't admire so much yeah you probably his foreign policy probably ain't your cup of tea well not all of it. I mean, yep. let's let's face it, man. Ronald Reagan was instrumental in in ending the Cold War. You know, the Cold War and bringing ended peace between the giant country. superpowers of of yep. uh, yeah. And and probably not so much as Mikhail Gorbachev. Let's give Gorbachev uh some credit like like he you know, he opened the doors and let the West in and, and said, yeah. let's, let's actually make peace for real. And Perfect. I think Mikhail Gorbachev and, and Ronald Reagan deserve an enormous amount of credit for bringing peace to the world. Yeah. That's not to say that every foreign policy decision that, uh, that Reagan made was, was good. And I don't think he was that good on gun control. Um, but there's a huge okay. amount to admire about the man. So, so we're talking about um, on October twenty seventh. That's the following Tuesday. Uh, will be the what anniversary of fifty six. The fifty six anniversary of Ronald 64. Reagan's "A Time for Choosing" speech. And um, can I
1: just say just a real quick biographical? He was born in this little town of Tampico, Illinois, to a failed alcoholic shoe salesman. Um, who had a big heart and he did love his family, but had a fun how did you sort of
2: fail at alcoholism? It's so easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: major in economics at a small liberal arts college. Uh, went off. Uh, he uh, was a sportscaster for WHO, which is a big, um, big channel uh, radio station in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, went out to cover uh, spring training for the Chicago Cubs in Southern California in 1937, and on a lark. Did a screen test with Warner Brothers, and they said, "Man, you've got some acting chops. Let's sign you." And then he began his career. And he um, he was president of the screen. This is the interesting thing. Like I said, he's, he he was started out as a FDR Democrat. He was a labor union guy. He was the head of the Screen Actors Guild. But I, and here's where he met his second wife, Nancy. She was an actress, and she sent him a letter saying, "Hey," or called him or something, got in touch with him and said, "I'm getting a bunch of mail." That I'm sure is from communist front groups. Uh, what can you do about it? And he looked into it for her, and they you know, started dating and got married. No, well, I'll
2: be darned. I, you know, I never knew that that was that Nancy was his second wife. Yeah, how yeah. unconservative.
1: Maureen. He had his first two kids with Maureen. Or Maureen? No, Maureen was his daughter. Uh, what was what was her name? Um, I'm having a senior moment, but Nancy was his second wife. Ron Junior and Patty were were the kids they had together. Well, but know. and then and then he, he he was the host of General Electric Theater on TV in the 1950s, and and they started sending him out on the rubber chicken circuit, you know, to um, tout GE at you know the rotary clubs around the country and that kind of thing. But he he had a conversion, and that really kind of started with this business of. Um, Communist uh, infiltration of his industry, the f- film and TV industry, and by the early sixties, he he understood that uh, um, social, you know, the Democratic Party was headed towards socialism. So he quit, and that okay, and that sets the table. That's
2: yeah. Uh, As someone who has a degree in economics, probably would. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So saw, you wanted to play like the first couple minutes of this thing. Yeah. Um,
1: and then, and then about a minute later, there's this little segment, and then the last two
2: minutes are just... So we're going we're gonna to play two minutes and 30 seconds of this. There's a couple spots that I want to also uh, highlight, but we'll go through your whole gambit first. And I hope I don't get too choked the up. The
0: following pre-recorded political program is sponsored by TV for Goldwater Miller on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Republican candidate for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting A Thoughtful Address by Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used. We've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend 17 million dollars a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, History will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers.
2: Okay, so let's move to, do you want to discuss yeah, that? Yeah, just any? about a half minute later at
1: 3.30, we go from 3.30 to 6, which I think is some important Do
2: stuff. you want to discuss that bit any before we move on to that? or? No, let's let
1: uh, President Reagan go ahead. and.
0: <laughs> You're so benevolent, day. Barney. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or, as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print, these are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not-undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded, it must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state, or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resented when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government, this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. Okay, so let's okay. go to the very
1: last one. Well, before out.
2: we do, he calls this a, a vote harvesting season. You know, yeah. this time of vote harvesting. I just love that uh, that that, that uh, wordsmithing. And he says that we, we're eventually going to have to settle on some some form of. Um, not undemocratic socialism, as if there's well, it's a,
1: quoting a democratism. Yeah,
2: as if right, as if there's any type of socialism that can be democratic. The most democratic thing you can have is free market capitalism, because yes. everybody gets to vote with the way they conduct themselves in society, with the way they spend their money, the way they behave, the way they approach charity. Without freedom, you cannot have democracy.
1: (laughs) It's indispensable.
2: It's indispensable. All right, so let's move to uh, 27
0: minutes. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether we like it or not spells duty you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness we will keep in mind and remember that barry goldwater has faith in us he has faith that you and i have the ability and the dignity and the right to make our own decisions and determine our own destiny thank you very much
1: You know, I, 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 I'm starved for somebody who doesn't have a phony bone in their body like that.
2: Okay. All right. Let's be, let's be serious here, though. All right. This sure. man, Ronald Reagan, was an actor, right? There's a lot of phony bones in his body. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. All and and I I I don't I'm not claiming that he's insincere here. I really do not think he's insincere. Yeah. But I do think he's polished. This is the beginning of the television era, you know, like um not the very beginning, but it's sort of in it, at its infancy. It's certainly when yeah. when most uh middle-class people really started to own televisions and 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 be able to tune in regularly. Um yeah. so so before then you could have an elegant wordsmith you know in print and a good editor can could make anyone you know who's not speaking publicly sound like uh they're coherent a even poetic and so here um ha- not only does he have this eloquent speech to deliver he's also very charismatic at delivering it i mean just yeah. he's absolutely charming and and that's what we've had ever since that's what wins now is is the charming personality yeah um, but again i'm not trying to claim that he's insincere here i don't think he's insincere um i do think he made some mistakes in his in his later career but i i think that the good he did in the world was 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 significant um yeah. so there's a couple things that i want to go back and 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 point out Uh, Oh, sure. For one, um, in the first clip, he talked about there being no left or right. There's only an up or a down. Like where we go from here is either up or it's down. Um, And I think that's such a good way to put it. Um, I have a really hard time defining left and right anymore. And that's sort of one of the reasons why I became a libertarian was because I don't know what left wing is, right? I'm not for stealing people's money. I'm not for forcing people uh, to do things that they don't want to do or buy insurance they don't want to buy. I'm not for spending uh, uncontrollably. I'm not for, you know, waging the left's wars any more than I'm for waging the right. So how do I identify myself as a leftist if I if I don't believe in those leftist causes, even though I do believe in, you know, marriage equality and I do believe in, you know, uh, racial equality. And I do believe in, uh, you know, all those other things that they purport to, 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 support. So how could I define myself as a leftist that way? But on the other hand, you know, I'm not for the rights wars. I'm not for, you know, ag- again, there, the, the, the left is not wrong to call the right out on, um, the, re- the religious, um, intolerance that was, that was imposed on the world. Uh, okay. or on the country in the past, I, I I think the modern right is much different, but um, in those past times, like the the right was definitely um, for imposing by force uh, Christian values yeah. and sodomy laws in Texas back in the early 1900s and and, and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, right. So that so so both the both the left and right were um, were very uh, pro force when it served their particular bent so so i i couldn't call myself either one of those things so you know so for me this up or down revelation is just it's just huge you know Uh, where we go from here is either up or it's down and and you get to define that for yourself anyway i just think it's very eloquent to put it that way okay so there's one there's one clip i did want to play
1: okay sure you can play Dutch clips all day as far as i know.
2: <laughs> There's one where he says, um I, I didn't get the where exactly it um was in the speech, but he says, I resent being called the masses. You know. Oh yeah. It's just like it, I don't know about you, but
1: I've never you know, I, I've never heard the people of this country before being referred to as the masses. Yeah.
2: Right. It's it's so it, it's it's such a way to write off everyone's individuality, just the masses feel this way. Like, well, you know, people certainly feel different differently in mobs than they do one-on-one. Um, and I think we can see that in our modern times and, and the riots that we've been enduring and all that kind of stuff. You talk to people one-on-one, and nobody's going to break the, the window out of your house. But you get people yeah. into mobs, and they, they behave and believe a lot differently.
1: I think that's perhaps... The greatest value of what we've been offering to the national discourse with our podcast over the last nearly two years is the the, the overall, the Venn diagram, if you will, um, just of what we're about. The the main message that uh, we're trying to get across to people, think about your freedom. Think about... What it means—it makes you human. It separates you from your pet dog, and it can be lost in an instant. It was not really even thought about much until, you know, people like John Locke and Montesquieu, and then the founding fathers and so forth. It's only in the last couple of centuries that human beings have ever been able to pull themselves up out of perpetual misery, yeah, and into something happier and more convenient yeah. and more safe. And it's because of, because we've been thinking about liberty.
2: And and Reagan in his in this speech he says, and I love this. Uh, he calls it man's uh, uh, long, long climb from the climb swamp from to the, the stars. Yes, from the swamp to the stars. The long climb from the swamp to the stars, and it's that's just it's just brilliantly eloquent. Okay, so I also liked uh, he he dropped this line where he says, um, the more the plans fail, the more the planners plan
1: and it's continued to be more
0: so more true as the years since 1964 have passed yet any time you and i question the schemes of the do gooders we're denounced as being against their humanitarian goals they say we're always against things we're never for anything well the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant it's just that they know so much that isn't so now <laughs> We're for a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we've accepted social security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings. When they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance to us in 100 million pieces of literature. But then they appeared before the Supreme Court And they testified it was a welfare program. They only used the term insurance to sell it to the people. And they said Social Security dues are a tax for the general use of the government. And the government has used that tax. There is no fund. Because Robert Byers, the actuarial head, appeared before a congressional committee and admitted that Social Security as of this moment is $298 billion in the hole. But he said there should be no cause for worry, because as long as they had the power to tax, they could always take away from the people whatever they needed to bail them out of trouble. And they're doing just that. A young man, 21 years of age, working at an average salary, his Social Security contribution would, in the open market, buy him an insurance policy that would guarantee $220 a month at age 65. The government promises $127. He could live it up until he's 31 and then take out a policy that would pay more than Social Security. Now, are we so lacking in business sense that we can't put this program on a sound basis so that people who do require those payments will find they can get them when they're due, that the cupboard isn't bare? Barry Goldwater thinks we can. At the same time... Can't we introduce voluntary features that would permit a citizen who can do better on his own to be excused upon presentation of evidence that he had made provision for the non-earning years? Should we not allow a widow with children to work and not lose the benefits supposedly paid for by her deceased husband? Shouldn't you and I be allowed to declare who our beneficiaries will be under this program, which we cannot do? I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens, regardless of need, into a compulsory government program, especially when we have such examples as was announced last week when France admitted that their Medicare program is now bankrupt. They've come to the end of the road. In addition, was Barry Goldwater so irresponsible when he suggested that our government give up its program of deliberate planned inflation so that when you do get your Social Security pension, a dollar will buy a dollar's worth and not 45 cents worth. I think we're for an international organization where the nations of the world can seek peace. But I think we're against subordinating American interests to an organization that has become so structurally unsound that today you can muster a two-thirds vote on the floor of the General Assembly among nations that represent less than 10% of the world's population. I think we're against the hypocrisy of assailing our allies because here and there they cling to a colony while we engage in a conspiracy of silence and never open our mouths about the millions of people enslaved in the Soviet colonies in the satellite nations. I don't know how you argue with that.
1: <laughs> I quite frankly I don't either, Claude.
2: I mean, it this is a different time, I guess. Um it's hard to say like there's so much that's different about the world between 1964 and 2020, and so much that's exactly the same. And you know, like you can say that about any time in human in human recorded history. I mean, it it, it shows to me that that the right and the the Republican wing have been they they don't claim to be open to social programs anymore, but they always have been. Yeah, here and, he's and, talking about being. Pro-Social Security, but just with good management. And I think that if if they had had that good management up until now, he's talking about even back then it was insolvent because they were raiding the actual fund, right? The money that they had set aside there was gone because it's it, instead of being insurance, it was really considered a tax. So they raided the, the coffers for the tax to, to pay for pet programs and then there's no money for the actual recipients who need it even back then and i mean you could just you could make that same argument today and the only reason that it is still solvent is exactly like he said they can always go back and just and just pull more resources out of society and tax people even more even though they're getting actually less for their investment quote unquote
1: and that might be the weakest point of of this wonderful magnificent speech um he's he's taking as a given that social security is, is you know permanently baked into american policy and social security was one of uh three major things that a lady named Frances perkins who was a central part of the fdr administration in the 30s um imposed on us the other two being the minimum wage and unemployment insurance and you know. Um, FDR did not cook up all the aspects of the New Deal himself. They came out of people like Francis Perkins and Rexford Tugwell and and, and a number of people uh, who'd been um, cooking this stuff up for a number of years. And and so, not unlike our own time, the the, the assumption that government ought to do make our lives you know safe and convenient and happy not beyond what james madison said it should do which is uh, you ought to be able to walk down the street without uh, getting knocked in the head and and you know and evil regimes should not be able to invade our shores beyond that government should not be it, uh, the, it's not the function of government to guarantee you a, a happy, safe, convenient life. But that all changed with the progressive movement and then on into the New Deal. And this Francis Perkins lady, part of that was Social Security. When people turn 65, we've got to help them make sure they can live comfortably the rest of their lives. And Why I don't, did we not assume so before that?
2: Like, I, I, I don't think – like. I get so much static like oh you're a libertarian okay so taxation is theft and you know um I just I just don't see that you would have that person who's the the over the top libertarian that's like all taxation is absolutely theft and it's wrong and immoral yeah. you know you're just the uh, the the crony mob shaking people down for for Payments so that nothing bad happens because you're going to create the bad thing for them if they don't pay up right i don 't think you'd have that guy if it wasn't for this waste fraud and abuse when you take people 's money for a, a specific reason, you know if all your money you know you got you got taxed a a, a low amount ten fifteen percent whatever, and it actually went to roads, bridges, schools, and hospitals and shit. I really don't think that you'd have people. Screaming, yeah,
1: and, and a police force. You need, like I say, you need you need to be able to uh, Sh- sure feel feels secure when you walk down the street, walk out your door, and down the streets that you're not, not going to get knocked up in the head.
2: Sure, and maybe even yeah. some public infrastructure, like like uh, um, like subsidizing or or creating the the monopolistic water company or whatever. You're right yeah. I, again i think the private market would eventually be better suited to deliver those services but i don't yeah. think that the I, I don't think that you'd have a bunch of people that are so anti government services at a basic level i don't think you'd be you'd have people screaming to close the post office down if right. if they could keep the goddamn thing in the black yeah
1: if 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 letters coming from um missouri showed up in indiana uh, in a reasonable amount of
2: time, yeah, yeah, right. If it wasn't that they had to, they had to rely on um, sucking more tax money uh, just to keep the thing afloat. You know, like yeah. I, 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 I honestly don't think people would care. And um, dialing this back to Reagan, my mm-hmm. biggest critique of Reagan would be that he had Milton Friedman as an economic advisor, and so rarely took his advice. <laughs> that was that was Friedman's complaint that. Yeah. That he had the ear of, of presidents, but they, uh, they so rarely...
1: Well, such is the nature of what happens when somebody gets to the Oval Office, you know, and they've they got to factor so many things in. But of all presidents in my lifetime, I think he did a better job of factoring all, everything in than anybody else. He, he, he did a better job of sticking to his principles, and also, he was thoroughly decent. He was thoroughly decent you know, and that, and that I, ne- neither are major choices this time around that you can't say that about either of them.
2: Well, I'll give you that. Um, I think that Ronald Reagan was a much more decent man than either of the choices that we have, um, available to us today. I, okay. I don't think that a person's character decency necessarily means that they are a better or worse leader
0: I think no, that's, but
2: I think it helps to have a, a person of good character but I also think that that um, you know it, it goes both ways I think too strong of a character sometimes can make people soft and I, I think
1: maybe that was some of Jimmy Carter's problem.
2: I uh, Jimmy Carter is exactly the example, maybe the That's only good. example I can come up with. Yeah. Um, and, and God bless Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter is a great man. He's a wonderful man. He was a terrible president, but a wonderful, a wonderful man. You know, I, I honestly, like, I want to I want to talk more about Reagan. Maybe we should do a follow-up show. Okay. Because we talked about a couple people offline. We talked about um, Ron Paul, and we talked a little bit more in depth personally than we talked on the show. And we talked about his uh, link with uh, Lou Rockwell and, um, and Pat Buchanan. And we've talked about Ronald Reagan. And there's a lot of these people that I really don't know their histories so in-depth. I, I get that there's a lot of criticism about these people, but I don't actually know the specifics of those things. I understand that there's an argument for and against them, but I don't really know history- the facts
1: historian that I am I have a master's degree in it i i I think it's very important to view people auto or view people biographically and look at how they came by their views and whether whether they were sincere or phony in in sticking with them and acting upon them and, and I think that stuff is very important to uh, Research and
2: and know about. You know? Okay, well, maybe maybe at some point um, another anniversary will come around, and maybe we should do a yeah. whole Reagan show and figure out. You know, well,
1: I'll tell you let's all see, the good this is and bad. January twenty twenty one will be the hundred tenth anniversary of Ronald Reagan's birth. Yeah, maybe we'll do a little um special episode or something.
2: Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Let's put that one in the books. Right. Okay. Okay, what this think? has been a long one, um, but I, I got to okay. tell you, Barney, I've I'm we we got a little behind in our shows, and I've really missed hanging out with you, and I've really missed doing our <laughs> podcast. I'm, I'm really glad we got to catch up again, and I think this has been a great episode, and I really appreciate your insight into everything we've talked about today.
1: And likewise, and I am I really think that uh, if anybody watches it attentively. They will be spurred to think about their freedom, what it means, and 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 how precious it is, and, and what life would look like if they didn't have it.
2: And one thing you don't have freedom about is clicking the subscribe button. That's not a choice. <laughs> yeah, you, must, you do must do that. You must do that. You must like and share our content. You must quote us. You must share. You must promote. And one thing is voluntary. You can go to Patreon.com slash Barney and Clyde, and you can contribute there. You can become a contributing member. Uh, we try to make a little extra co- content for that. Uh, we've been a little bit of uh, slackers on that on that front. But if you actually do pay us, you will see more of that stuff. So you So please yeah. do that. And uh, in the meantime, Barney.
1: Stay vigilant about your freedom.
2: <laughs> see you in a fortnight.
1: That's an interesting development.